Welcome back, Riz Nation, to another edition of Revisionist Grizzly, a podcast series under the Core 4 podcast. Core 4 is a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network, along with GBB Live and 3ND. Find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you find your podcast. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. Find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at, at SBN Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me today is former GBBer Chip Williams. Chip, how's it going? Things are good, Parker. Things are good. Um, yeah, it's a weird time, um, but all things considered, things are good. I appreciate you asking me to do this. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to you know, Grizz blogging Twitter. I don't really see anybody as active in draft talk as far as like columns or big boards or anything than Chip. So I had to reach out to him for this one because last week we talked about the 2009 draft. And honestly, even though they passed on, you know, James Harden and Steph Curry and DeMar DeRozan, I think the 2016 draft is probably the worst draft in Grizzlies history. And so, if you don't remember it, uh, in 2016, the Grizzlies had the 17th pick. They drafted Wade Baldwin, who lasted 56 games, averaging 3.1 points and 1.4 assists, having stints in Memphis, Portland, and I'm trying to think. Memphis, Portland. And no, he got. He bounced around in some weird deadline thing. So, yeah, he lasted like three seasons and he was out. He's in Europe now. Deontay Davis, he he played in 107 games, averaging 4.2 points, 3.2 rebounds, and 0.6 blocks. And he played two seasons in Memphis and then one in Atlanta last year before not finding a spot this year. And then Rade Sigorac, he never even played a regular season game. He got cut before the 2017-2018 season. And so this draft is really weird because don't you remember like a lot of like hype and optimism around this draft in particular? Yeah, this is one that's it's it was billed as a very strong draft. And in some ways it's lived up to that and in others it's been a little bit disappointing, but I mean you just you start at the top and work your way down even into the second round and with some undrafted guys there's good talent in this draft and for the Grizzlies to have four total picks and end up with literally zero NBA players, um, was actually kind of impressive. Um, so, you know, the big argument at the top was Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram that year. I remember ranking Ingram above Simmons and my whole justification for it was I tell you I tell you exactly what I think it was Parker I kind of had this emotional distress of watching Tony Allen be completely disregarded by the Golden State Warriors in a playoff series and it, it kind of that was the last push for that grit and grind era to maybe have a shot of, of reaching an NBA finals to knock off that Warriors team and you know Steve Kerr makes the adjustment they they basically don't guard Tony because he can't shoot. He's a non-threat on offense if he doesn't have the ball in his hand. And so I see Ben Simmons, who to this day still does not shoot at all, but he's still an excellent basketball player. Um, Ingram was the guy I thought, if we look five, six years down the road 
and there's a guy out of this draft that's averaging 20 plus points per game, it's probably him. And so that was my justification for ranking him one. I think right now we're, everyone's pretty comfortable saying that Ben Simmons is the best player out of this draft. Um, but it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one as you look even in the second round. Like Malcolm Brogdon is a, a very, very good NBA player and even some undrafted guys. So, you know, the fact, like I said, the Grizzlies, four picks, zero NBA players. They, they almost could have lucked into one and they didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned Simmons and Ingram, but I remember, you know, like Jamal Murray got a lot of hype around them. Like him and Chris Dunn were hovering around that three spot where Jalen Brown eventually ended up, again, another good player. You had Damanis Sabonis, Buddy Heald, Pascal Siakam, Karis LeVert. And you actually look in those ranges where Wade Baldwin, Deontay Davis were drafted, and Sigourash for that matter. And you're like, dang, like, the Grizzlies could have gotten somebody, but they didn't. And one thing I want to ask you is, like, what happened with these guys? Because I remember both Davis and Baldwin were getting, like, lottery consideration and mock drafts and everything, and then it was completely busted. Yeah, I went back and looked at my old draft board. I was able to find it in the GBB archives. And I had Deontay Davis ranked 12th and Wade Baldwin ranked 14th. So I had them both as basically back end of the lottery picks. And I think you start with Baldwin. I mean, that was a guy who you you look at him and he looks like everything you want in an NBA point guard. You watch him play. He was fast. He was pretty explosive with his athleticism. Um, there was, you know, kind of the lazy Russell Westbrook comp. He certainly was never anywhere close to that level of prospect, but that gives you an idea of what people thought of him at the time. I mean, he was a bigger guard who could move up and down the floor well. And, you know, what happened with him, I got the sense that he didn't have the greatest attitude maybe ever. And I don't know Wade Baldwin, so I can't speak to that personally. I've never been around him, you know, in a locker room long enough to say whether or not that was true, but that's definitely something you hear. Um, and if your talent isn't great or elite guys, just aren't going to put up with a guy who, who may be uh, difficult to deal with in the locker room at times. And then with Deontay Davis, there was a lot to like there too because I think you saw him at Michigan State and you thought, okay, maybe this guy can turn into a rim runner, shot blocker, um, guy who catches lobs, can switch because he's got some agility, he's got some decent lateral movement. But with him, the same thing. It just – it didn't seem like Deontay was ever that excited to be on the basketball court. Like, that is one huge advantage – that GMs and front office personnel that they have over someone like me or someone like you is they get to sit down with these guys and they get to pick their brain and see what motivates them and see what they're about. And I think at times that can be a little bit overrated, but it just never seemed that Deontay was really excited to ever play basketball. And I don't think it was a talent thing with either one of these guys, because I do think they have the ability to be NBA players. But when you're not an elite level prospect, stuff like mentality and stuff like how much you work on your game and do your teammates like you, a lot of that stuff matters at the margins. And I don't know that it worked out for either one of these guys in that sense. 
Yeah, I agree. And um, I was even just going back on Twitter because I was a big Wade Baldwin apologist really up until about 2018 at the end of that season. I thought it was beyond awful how the Grizzlies gave up on him after one year and proceeded to let a 30-year-old Mario Chalmers coming off a ruptured Achilles being able to have that roster spot when he was clearly washed. And then Andrew Harrison, who was only marginally better, I was just like, all right, this is your first round pick and you already gave up on him. Like, Yeah, that nah, was a bad this- sign. That, that was a bad sign. Exactly. When you said that, like, that's a bad sign. When you've got a guy who some people considered a lottery pick and you're ready to ditch him for Andrew Harrison and Achilles injury, Mario Chalmers, that's just not great. You know, it's a bad look. Right. Yeah. And there was a lot to like about Baldwin because coming out of Vanderbilt, he was a 43% three-point shooter. He's a big guard with what they call like plus five wingspan, but I think he's more like a plus seven. He's six four, had like a six ten, six eleven wingspan. So there's potential for him there to like either be a big point guard or he could slide over and play shooting guard next to Mike Conley. Granted, looking back, that was probably the better route for him anyways. But I think a lot of it was attitude. I mean, kind of all this stuff got to his head. You know, like you said, the lazy Westbrook comps probably got to his head, and he just it ended up biting him in the ass and cost him his career. And Davis, like one thing I always liked about him, and the reason why I was like, okay, if he's a part of the future, great. If he's not, whatever. Is a lot of the great teams they have low usage centers that. They don't need the ball in their hands to be effective. All you need them to do is block shots, rebound, protect the rim, and be able to finish off dump-offs whenever your perimeter players are penetrating. And I, I saw upside in that for Deontay Davis, but like you said, it looks like he didn't want to be out there. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things you look for, too. When you see a guy that you're picking, um, you know, not at the very top of the draft, okay, how does he – fill in a role how does because a lot of these guys the first time they've ever had to do this they've been stars in high school most of them were stars in college or stars overseas okay so how do you go from being the guy to now okay you're the fourth fifth sixth seventh option and we need you to do all these other things other than have the ball and that seemed very easy for Deontay Davis I mean it it seemed like exactly what you just said he doesn't really need the ball to affect the game and that's huge, especially in the playoffs. If you have a guy who can do all the things you said, plus he can switch out onto smaller players as needed, and it just never worked for him. And I think you made a good point with Baldwin, too. At the time, with his size, so he was a bigger guard and he had the wingspan, he could have played next to Mike Conley, which was a big consideration at that time. You know, the Grizzlies forever just had this revolving door of point guards, and okay, sure, um, you know, no problem. Wade Baldwin, you can be the backup point guard. But at the same time, when they need a scoring punch, he's a three-point shooter. He can possibly be good off the ball. We know he's explosive getting up and down the floor, so that's something that they didn't have already. For both of these guys, it made so much sense, their role and how they could impact the game. And Chris Harrington used to have this saying, that it's the cavalry that never came. And that's exactly what these guys are part of. They were supposed to be – these first round picks who are coming in and in the, I guess the case of Deontay, the first pick in the second round, 
these guys who are coming in to supplement the core four and hopefully somebody pops out of that group to become the fifth guy and none, it never happened. You know, you can go back all the drafts through the core four era. It just never happened. It was exactly right. He put it perfectly. It was the cavalry that never came. Mm -hmm. And that was my big thing with this draft and why, like I said, it's probably the worst one in Grizzlies history. The fact that they had four picks and whiffed on every single one of them, found zero NBA players. But also, too, like they were in this bridge where they needed to win now with grit and grind, but also they needed to build towards the future. Like throwing out an example, like could you have imagined having like Malik Beasley or Karis LeVert right there, like when Chandler Parsons was injured, you could have just slotted him in instead of James Ennis, fed him some valuable minutes alongside the core four, but then also you have him ready up next for like if he's pairing up with Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. So, I mean, being honest, I mean, where the Grizzlies were picking, I don't think it would have affected their trajectory much. I think they still would have been kind of bad in that 2017-18 and still gotten Jaron Jackson Jr., I still think they could have found their way in John Moran as well. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But like you said, those guys were something that they needed at the time and would be very nice to have right now. So, I mean, if you just look at it, you mentioned it. Wade Baldwin was 17. At 18, or excuse me, at 19 and 20, you had Malik Beasley and Karis LeVert. Um, Deontay Davis was 31. Literally the next pick after him is Avica Zubac, who's a very nice NBA player. And then the one that hurts, I think, is Roddy Zagorac at 35. And the very next pick is Malcolm Brogdon at 36. I mean, any of those four guys would help you a lot. And then, you know, I mean, I'm not going to knock a team for missing at the what a 57th pick with Wang Jilin. The 57th pick is, you know, you'd probably go back through history and maybe find five or six guys who even contributed at all in the NBA. But if you look at some of the undrafted guys, Alex Caruso, Dorian Finney-Smith, Bryn Forbes, Fred Van Vliet, Daniel House, Derek Jones Jr., I mean, Damian Lee, I mean, any of those guys. (laughs) In fact, they could have just picked four guys at their spots who went undrafted and gotten four much better NBA players than the guys that they actually drafted. Um, it's just remarkable that they didn't luck into one of these guys being good. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so with the Baldwin one, it is pretty inexplicable just because they passed on Malik Beasley, Karis LeVert, DeJounte Murray, and Pascal Siakam. And I will say, like, it's fair for us to kind of give them a pass for Siakam, right? Because, I mean, nobody saw this coming. No, nobody saw Siakam coming. I actually wrote about him for Fansided uh, when they had the Upside and Motor blog. Um, I did five guys who – so this was actually the first year in the draft where they kind of pushed back the date where you had to pull out. So you could go through – a bunch of different workouts and you could work out for teams. And I believe you could even go to the combine and you could pull out after that before you had to basically decide before the combine, whether you were staying in or not. And I wrote about five guys who ended up staying in the draft and their draft stock was benefited. I won't talk about the other four because none of the other four in the NBA, but Pascal Siakam was the, the fifth guy. 
and he ended up being very good. But I wrote, I thought he could be a rim running big who could switch positions. I mean, no one, no one saw what he ultimately became, which is a very good NBA player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I even look back on some list from what I found from when I used to write a fan sided. And there's some guys that I, I liked, I had some that I thought would be off the board, like Frugon Korkmaz. It's like he would have been a good player yep. next to them. I thought Beasley was going to be a reach. Uh, same with Malachi Richardson, Thon Maker. Um, I really liked Demonis Sabonis, Torian Prince, Denzel Valentine, and Scarlett Brissier. And that was like the Scarlett one was more biased because I, I mean, I've grown up in the Memphis high school basketball circuit, so I knew him and played against him. So like, there was a little bias there. But I mean, the straps just kind of hit or miss in that aspect. It was. And I, I mean, I thought Scal had an interesting um, skill set too, because around this was really when the Warriors started to assert themselves and teams started to look for more mobile bigs who could switch around, who could knock down open shots. And Scal certainly had some of that in his game. Um, another former GBB or Andrew Ford, he, um, he's a big UT guy. He actually. I think he was on Bruce Pearl's staff in some way. Um, I don't know, but he fought me. He he hated Scal, and I was like, I don't know, man. Like I could really see this guy um, becoming something that you want out of an NBA big, and he was right. And I think I was the same as you, where I had on my my Memphis glasses, and I had been watching Scal, you know, for a long time uh, in the Memphis scene, and um, obviously it has not worked out for him, but. I think that this draft probably taught me more about the draft than any of the other ones that I've done because I was wrong a lot. And I think when you're wrong about a draft, you need to go back and figure out, okay, why was I wrong? And in one sense, I I had Dragon Bender as my third player um, on my board at the time. And this is a big lesson I learned from that was I used to kind of watch some tape of these guys and maybe be like, oh, okay, I see what everyone else sees. And I would just kind of slot them where everyone else slotted them. And Dragon Bender obviously has been a disaster in the NBA. It doesn't seem like he's made for the league much longer. And I learned that, all right, you can't just trust what these guys are saying about the Euros. You need to really do your work and make sure that you're solid in your information and you're solid on the tape that shows you why this guy can be good. Because if not, you'll end up putting Dragon Bender third on your board. And granted, he was the fourth pick. So, you know, the Phoenix Suns missed with me. Um, but yeah, I, I think I learned a lot and it, it helped me. Um, what about you? I know you do a ton of draft stuff. So does stuff like this, when you, when you miss big time, does it, does it end up helping you down the road? Um, I mean, I know with this draft in particular, like I had literally just started blogging. And so I would say this draft probably taught me to remove bias. I mean, like I mentioned with Scout Gabriciae, I mean, I just had bias of guys I've heard of just from growing up, like playing basketball. And then, like you said, just listening to other opinions. Um, I mean, I'm even pulling up my 2018 big board. And like same thing, like I I listen to other people a little too much. Grant, I my top 
four doesn't sound terrible right now, but I mean, you go down the list and it's like, okay, like I, I probably just listened to some people saying like, oh yeah, watch out for this guy. Instead of just, you know, like relying on myself in that aspect. So looking back in that 2016 draft, if you're going back 2016 draft, you have the 17th pick. Who are you taking at the time? I'm considering that you know now about Siakam, like considering. Okay, so just if if it was me, if like, and and I'm using my board from 2016. I mean, yeah, yeah. It it would have been Timothy Luawu, uh, who added a another name, Timothy Luawu Cabarro. I love Luawu. I thought that. I thought he was going to be really good. Um, I think I had him like ninth or something like that. He was a six seven, had a good body, really good jump shooter. Um, I thought he had a pretty clear path to be a three and D wing. Um, and he's one of those guys. I'm, I'm not. I'll probably forever when he's like thirty seven years old. I'll be like, yeah. I mean, maybe he can still make it one day. Maybe he'll make the leap but it's probably about time to give up on him being a good NBA player but another one was Firk and Korkmaz I really like both of those Euro wings um I probably would have picked either one I liked Beasley quite a bit at the time I believe he had some injury issues though and so that would have probably made me stay away from him um but yeah gun to my head I probably would have gone uh Timotei Luawu Cabarro yeah, I like that. Like, I, I probably would have gone Scal or Korkmaz just because those are two guys that I really liked, and I thought they'd be gone earlier. Um, I think one thing, one flaw that I've figured out in draft scouting and, like, research on these guys, don't listen to NBADraft.net because I bought into <laughs> this, uh, this comp that they give Korkmaz. It was, like, Gordon Hayward. But, like, even then, like, you slot Korkmaz in with the present-day Grizzlies or even the Grizzlies from when he was a rookie, like, he would have been a decent role player in Memphis. Like, it's a lot better than what you got for Wade Baldwin. No, absolutely. Korkmaz is – he's actually turned into a pretty nice NBA player. Um, And I remember thinking at the time, because both Korkmaz and uh, Timotei Luau Cabarro both got drafted by the Sixers. And I was like, dude, oh, my gosh. The Sixers got Ben Simmons and both of these guys. Like, they are about to run the NBA. I mean, this is ridiculous. Um, but I also think that around that time, if you were taller than 6'4 and you could shoot a three, I coveted you for the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies just for some reason could never find those type of players. Um, so that probably clouded my judgment at the time a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, really we've talked about it. I mean, any of these guys, especially like a Malik Beasley type, if he ends up becoming, you know, what he is now, if they give him that opportunity to become what he is now, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm certainly not going to go as far as to say that he's the missing piece to make them good, but he was certainly something that they had never really had before. And he was definitely going to open up the floor a little bit for maybe one last run. And then he carries over very nicely, and his age lines up nicely with the team that you have right now. Um, And he's been a guy that, you know, if the Grizzlies had kept their cap space into this year, that would have made a lot of sense for them to go make a run at him. So, 
he is probably the ideal pick. He or Lavert, I would think. Um, you know, obviously, if you if you want to go perfect world, you take Siakam, and then that really does change the entire trajectory of the franchise. But in a more realistic sense, guys that were around there, really just any of those wings not named Wade Baldwin would have made a lot of sense and would have been good. Right. I definitely agree with you. I would have – I mean, knowing what I know now, I mean, like you said, like Siakam, it's, it was still a shot in the dark. Like you're going to forgive yourself for passing on him. Like my, Malik Beasley or Karis Levert would have been my picks there, with Levert having a little bit of an edge. But also, too, like I think the Mike Conley decision kind of scared them a little bit into taking a point guard. And honestly, if they were that worried about it, I mean, DeJounte Murray was like 12 picks later. Yeah. Like you could have gotten what you wanted out of Wade Baldwin at DeJounte Murray. I actually – so – one thing that's pretty cool about having John Hollinger in the front office all these years is he's now right back in media and he's doing the podcasts and he's writing. And I was listening to a podcast with he and Chad Ford, um, or maybe I was either doing that or I was reading something he wrote on the athletic. And anyways, he basically said that their pit came down to John T. Murray or Wade Baldwin, and they did not think that Wade Baldwin would be there, so they were fully prepared to pick Jonte Murray, and then Baldwin ends up falling, and that's who they take. But, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. but, man, I mean, that would have helped a lot. Now, I guess the question that would go along with that is if you have Jonte Murray, does that make you think any different about picking John Morant last year? So... I don't know. Maybe the Wade Baldwin pick ended up actually being beneficial where they took, you know, John Morant and not R.J. Barrett or whoever else they could have taken at that second pick. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point there. I mean, I would rather have John Morant than DeJounte Murray. And, like, for some people, I mean, I know people that would rather have DeAnthony Melton than DeJounte Murray. So, I mean, hindsight yeah. always. I mean, I think that kind of – makes a bigger case for Malik Beasley or Chaos Levert being the pick there. And Definitely. so I do want to do a – before we close the show, I do want to do a little dive on, like, the one thing that stuck with me with this draft that almost makes it even worse is, you know, like, everybody will point to the Grizzlies passing on Malcolm Brogdon three different times, more notably for – Rodriguez, Sigorach, and Deontay Davis. They also traded away a future first-round pick in that draft that ultimately ended up being the 22nd pick in the 2019 draft. And those are still some good players that are out there. Like, I mean, I think Grant Williams was the pick there, but also, like, down the board, you had Ty Jerome, Nasir Little, Kevin Porter Jr. And there's a lot of good players that, they ultimately whiffed on here for two players that they never amounted to being an NBA player. Yeah. And I remember at the time being excited about getting Deontay just because I thought that, you know, he had potential to be a lottery pick um, and he slid and slid and slid and they end up, you know, like you said, trading the first end up moving up to get him. Um, and so would that have been nice? Yeah. I guess they kind of made up for it this past draft, though, when they traded Mike and they picked up the extra first. And obviously they make the move to go get Brandon Clark. But, I mean, if you have three first-round picks, 
the way that this front office is drafted in the very small sample size we have, you would think that they would have gone and gotten another really good player. So, yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to have had and being able to look back and say, okay, well, these guys amounted to nothing in the 2016 draft. We'd much rather have our first round pick um, in 2019. But, you know, at the time, I was okay with it. Obviously, in hindsight, it was bad. Um, so I don't know. I mean, look, I'm a, I know that, uh, Grant Williams certainly has some detractors at GBB. I'm actually a fan of Grant. I think he's, he's going to be a nice NBA player. He has, to me, he has a very easy role that you can just kind of plug him into. And, uh, I know it's taken him a little while to, to get going, but if you ended up with Grant along with Brandon Clark and John Moran, I think, I think you'd be okay. Yeah. I mean, He's not the guy that's going to go out and score 15 to 20 a game, but he's going yeah. to try to make a winning play. And I think that's why Boston fans love him. I mean, GBBer Jack Noonan loves Grant Williams, even though another GBBer, my co-host Nathan Chester, can't stand him. <laughs> um, that's what's still- great about the draft, man. Everybody's allowed to have their dudes. I mean, it's – and the great thing is, is like half the time you're going to be right, half the time you're going to be wrong. NBA teams are wrong just as much as guys who write about the draft are wrong. So it's uh it's certainly not a science. You can, there's ways you can get better at it, I think, but that you're going to whiff all the time. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. You know, it's one thing that it's pretty interesting when you look at that 2016 draft is they could have gone for that similar formula they did with Davis and Segoratch they just would have flipped and done Zubach and Brogdon. And honestly, at the time, I was winning Patrick McCall. Like, I saw that happen. I'm like, go get Patrick McCall. Yeah, I actually thought McCall and Brogdon were two guys that they were going to target um, because I thought Brogdon was super undervalued in this draft. Um, he was – it happens every year. It just happened with Brandon Clark where these upperclassmen – they use their age against them. Um, everybody always thinks that, okay, you draft the 19-year-old over the 22-year-old because what will that 19-year-old be when he's 22? Um, by the time, you know, he's caught up to the old, older guy in age. And there's there's something to that. I mean, there, there are certainly circumstances where that comes into play. But when you have a guy that even though he's older and he's good, you just take the good player. I mean, it, you don't worry about the age and you don't worry about, you know, oh, what will this guy one day become? You take the good player if you can get the good player. And so Brogdon slipping into the second round like he did, I thought was crazy. Um, I mean, if they had just picked Deontay at 31 and Brogdon at 35, I mean, I would have been really happy with it. But I also, I do wonder, since they ended up picking two guys who have never come over and Wang Lin and Roddy Zagarach, how much of a roster crunch there was because carrying four rookies on the roster is probably not something any team really wants to do, especially a team at the time that still thought they were competing for the playoffs and could make a push. So I, I guess I get what they were doing, especially with the Wangji Olympic, because I don't know that they ever thought he would come over and you saw what they were able to do in the past by trading draft rights and ending up basically turning draft rights into Luke Ridenour, who ended up turning into Matt Barnes. So draft rights do have a 
very small value because you can trade basically if a team wants nothing and just to take a salary back, you can send out those draft rights. So I guess I get that. You say at 57, we're probably not going to get anybody we want anyways. We'll just basically hold this as a trade chip for later. But with 35, I mean, you, you can get a very good player at 35 because we look, the Milwaukee Bucks got one at 36. Absolutely. And, you know, it kind of just, this draft just makes us thankful for a new resume, a new idea of thinking. Because when you really look at it, the past three drafts for the Grizzlies have been nice. I mean, Dylan Brooks in 2017, and even Ivan Rabb was a nice player. He just didn't fit in with the rest of the roster. They had to make some roster crunches. And then Jaron Jackson Jr. and Javon Carter, who they ultimately turned into DeAnthony Melton, and then John Morant and Brandon Clark in 2019. Like that, like, that's a pretty solid three-year track record right there. That's it, yeah. I mean, it's it's so much better than what it once was. And, I mean, you got your two franchise cornerstones moving forward, and you've got some nice, possibly starter-level players. You maybe got four starters in those two or in those three drafts. I mean, that's huge, um, especially when you're rebuilding. The fact that they have been able to basically completely turn the roster over in an 18-month span or so is just – Unbelievable. Like what that front office has done, I don't think anybody could have done in their wildest dreams or if they were playing 2K or whatever. I mean, it, it's um, it's very impressive and it makes you feel better going forward because they've ended up picking guys that were, for the most part, pretty high on my board. I was not as high on Ivan Rab, but I actually remember tweeting on that draft night, and I'm sure I still have it somewhere in my Twitter, was if you had just – flipped the Dylan Brook and Ivan Rab picks, I would have felt way better about it. And so that's kind of how I look at the draft sometimes. Like, okay, maybe they reached a little bit early, but they got a really nice value later on. And if you told me you just flipped those two picks, I'd be like, oh, okay, great. Yeah, that sounds good to me. So no, they've they've done well. Um, they've done really well. And it gives you it should give every Grizzly fan a lot of confidence going forward that they're going to maximize not only every draft pick, but every asset they have going forward. I absolutely agree there. And uh, Chip, we're about running out of time here, but do you have any final remarks before we close the show? Um, no, not really. Just, um, you know, looking back, 2016 was kind of painful. It was kind of a painful draft. Um for the Grizzlies and for me going back and looking at some of my takes at the time, because I did like that draft haul for the Grizzlies at the time and it ended up not being correct. But um, no, man, I, I appreciate you doing this. This was fun. I appreciate you coming on the show. And yeah, like you said, it's fun looking back on areas where we were right areas we were wrong. But I mean, this was a, this was a lot of whiffs to be honest, especially on my end. I mean, like I said, I was huge advocate for Wade Baldwin and even Deontay Davis. So, yeah, it, it happens. That's really the point of this show. I mean, obviously, you get to highlight what you hit. Sometimes some it's something you miss, but ultimately, it's just fun to look at. You know, it's, it gets us back to sports a little bit. Yeah, hey, we'll take any of that right now, right? I mean, any way that I can think about sports, I'll, I'll take it at this point. Absolutely. And uh, Chip, before we close the show, let the people know where they can find you and your work. 
Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter at Chip Williams, Jr. Chip Williams Jr. Um, I actually just started a draft podcast with my buddy Sudu Badea at his new website, Pivot. Um, he's got that going, and I'm pretty excited about it. We broke down James Wiseman last week. I will occasionally write about the draft at uh, nbadraft.blog. Um, I don't know. The last thing I wrote uh, – I guess was when Porter signed with the Grizz, Javante or Jonte Porter. Um, but I, I've got some stuff coming up for this next draft that I'm pretty excited about. So definitely check that out. If you're a draft guy, Grizz guy, I would appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't know that you and Sudu had that show. So I'm going to be sure to check that out. All right. And so you can find me and my work over at grizzlybearblues.com on my Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Be sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading every episode of the Core 4 GBB Live and 3ND Podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you find your podcast. With that, we'll see you later. <laughs>